Well, folks, a very warm welcome to our latest Generation podcast. And again, we are in the lockdown situation, so please apologise for the quality of the sound. But the lockdown is giving us new opportunities, and I'm able to talk to uh, some friends from further away that we've not been able to get into the studio. So my guest this morning, uh, or wherever it is, whatever time of day it is for you listening, uh, is Roger Carswell. Roger is an evangelist. Roger, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. It's a great joy to be with you. Thank you. It's great to have you. I, I remember you, you preached my church up here in Inverness some years ago. Um, do you remember that? I do. I can even tell you what I preached on, believe it or not. I don't always remember, remember but I, I do on this occasion. It was a comeback to, sun, uh, to church Sunday. And I think I preached on, uh, I came not to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners to repentance. Yeah, that's great. And I remember one person who's now gone to glory uh, became a Christian. Um, What do you think whenever you hear stories, uh, sometimes maybe years later, about folk uh, being saved through your, your work? I, well, I just praise God, and uh, I'd love to hear many more, um, but I often feel, wow, this is hard ground at the moment that we're scattering gospel seed on, but when there is some landing in on good soil and it brings forth fruit, that, yeah, you praise the Lord and you give him all the glory. Great. Well, let me get back to the beginning. Can you tell us how you get into evangelism? Yes, um, I'm a Yorkshireman and um, brought up in a um, in, in a lovely family. It was a God-fearing family, so we read the scriptures every day and we prayed every day. But the church we went to, I'm afraid, never, never preached the gospel. But my mother, my father was a Yorkshireman, but my mother was Armenian, and um, she grew up in the in in the Lebanon. And uh, I had relatives there who ran a Christian hospital in Beirut when I was 15. Um, I went and spent a month with them, and it was through their witness that I came to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. One, well, he was much older than me, bless him, but he had a game of tennis with me. And afterwards, he he talked to me about the Lord, and uh, I'd never understood that when Jesus died, he'd carried my sin in his own body on the cross. And I thought, if he loved me enough to die for me, I really should ask him to be my Lord and Saviour. And I remember my uncle afterwards saying to me, now, when you get back home, Roger, you need to tell your friends about Jesus. And I thought, oh, I'd never dare do that. But do you know, it was the natural thing to do. So there was always a desire to tell others about Christ. A group called Young Life, National Young Life Campaign, took me under their wing. And I really humanly owe everything to them. And Werner Wright, who was professor of medicine, led that group and a very, very zealous, enthusiastic um, Christian witness. He really nurtured me. I, I taught for 11 years in schools, but my heart was very much in evangelism. And so eventually I, I left teaching to, um, to launch out as a, as a traveling evangelist. It was the burden of my heart. And um, it's a long time ago now, David, but the Lord's been very gracious to me. Was that a difficult decision? Because, you know, whilst teachers don't earn a fortune, you know, it's a steady wage, it's good holidays, and you virtually you're leaving that security. Did, did you give it any second thought? Or did oh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I agonised over it. And, and because of the very issues that you mentioned, 
um, there were various groups that I talked to or they approached me, but they all wanted to limit me to either work, say, with students or in Yorkshire or with young people. And I felt the Lord is calling me to a broader ministry, I'm sure. And to uh, to actually leave teaching and uh, I made certain promises. I've never asked for money. I've never sent out begging letters or anything like this or charge. I've just looked to the Lord. And if he wanted me to continue in this work, um, then he would provide. And my wife was 100% in agreement with me, but it was a big step, I have to say, very big. And, and uh, on another issue as well, David, if I may, the people whom I loved most and worked closely with really were not that keen on folk going into full-time ministry. They, they really felt that you should earn your, your living and then do evangelistic work in your free time or overtime. And um, uh, so it was a big step to actually go into full-time ministry because I was sort of going a little bit against their advice. But nevertheless, I think it was of the Lord. Is it something that you enjoy doing? And if so, what, what gives you the enjoyment? I do. I, I'm sure that joy in Christian service comes when we use our gifts for the Lord's glory. So if you ask me to repair a car, I would have no joy in that at all because I'm not a car mechanic. It just doesn't work for me. But it might for somebody else, another Christian. And I believe God gave that gift of evangelism and that heart of evangelism to me and therefore um, to be able to share the gospel with others and to get this wonderful but urgent message out to others yes it always does give joy I have to say though David you know I have my ups and downs I've got Mediterranean blood in me and um, we're known for our emotions and <laughs> I, I can be I can be high but I can go very very low as well yeah. Now, I mean, there's the church. God has given various gifts to the church. Some of me, I'm a pastor teacher. There's other folk who are academics. You are an evangelist. Mm. Uh, can you tell us what is your understanding of the New Testament office of an evangelist? And what does that look like in 2020? Yes, Um I have written about this in a book called And Some Evangelists, and, and it's a good question, David, because there are those who theologically believe that the gift has ceased. And I think the reason they believe that is because there's no description of the sort of character qualities of an evangelist. So it, I, I think it's an argument that's based on silence, but I, I obviously don't believe that. And um, Ephesians chapter four talks about evangelists and, and Ephesians chapter two sort of gives the impression that that this is not a temporary gift. Some may be yeah. the gift of the apostle, the gift of the prophet, I believe, was a temporary gift. But there's no indication that that the gift of the evangelist was foundational in the way that those two gifts are described. Um, I believe a, uh, an evangelist ideally would be, um, um, as, as it were, identified in a church and then encouraged in the gifting uh, and usage of of the um, the talent that God has given them. The trouble is, evangelists are keen to get the gospel out to non Christians, and are therefore not usually found in theological colleges or Bible colleges. So, somebody with a desire for evangelism and a gifting and inclination, maybe a call from God for evangelism, goes to Bible college, but they don't get evangelists teaching them. They get Bible teachers teaching them, and, and we need Bible teachers, don't misunderstand, but they're sort of, their gifting is, is, is then steered away 
from reaching the lost to pastoral responsibilities. We need pastors, but we do need evangelists. But I, I get frustrated at times because who are the people who are training, teaching, encouraging um, evangelists? And that they're hard to find. And then sometimes when churches have appointed them, and I'd love to see more churches appoint evangelists, the, the evangelist often gets bogged down with, again, pastoral responsibilities or administrative responsibilities. And they, they veer away from the true calling. We, we, we need to see people who are leading a congregation in the work of reaching out to non-Christians. They will be doing it themselves. Uh, evangelism is proclaiming the gospel to non-Christians who are listening. So they will be doing that, whether in a public gathering or one-to-one. There'll be, there'll be both aspects. Uh, but they will as well be teaching um, the, the, the congregation, the Christians, and encouraging them and leading them in this work, this ministry as well. Yeah, this is absolute music to my ears because, you know, in talking to a lot of guys, young guys, they've got this image of what they want to be when they are ordained. They want to go to church. They want to teach. They want to, you know, go through Romans, do their great uh, expositions of Leviticus and yeah. have a nice little tidy teaching ministry. And then I read Second Timothy 4, 5, and it says, you know, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist. Yes. So it seems to me that even, especially, a pastor teacher has also got to do the work of an evangelist. Because would you agree that if mission isn't at the heart of anyone, um, that really they're, they're just not seeing something that's clear in Scripture? Uh, absolutely. I, I don't know how somebody can believe in a God whose love is so vast that he who created all things came into our world and was going to go to a cross and suffer and die for our sins that we might be forgiven and reconciled to God, that he died, he rose from the dead, that we believe we can come to know God, not just in life, but throughout all eternity. And we know that and we don't want to share it with everybody. Yeah. I, I can't get my head around that. Uh, I'm very challenged by a good friend of mine, David Harding, who when he was pastoring Milnrow in Rochdale, and he's a, he's a superb Bible teacher, but when he was pastoring, do you know, twice a week, two afternoons a week, he used to go outside the local supermarket um, and, and give out tracts. And he said, um, obviously he wants to reach the lost, but he said, do you know as well, it's really good for me because it keeps me in touch with where people are at. Um, but there was that motivation with him, with him. He wanted to get out and reach others. We, <laughs> I met people who say, I just want to feed the flock, but you've got to get a flock first, haven't you? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, let me talk about tracts. Um, there's, you know, a considerable proportion of the church, even maybe a majority in kind of edgy new churches and even older churches that would say attracting ah, is so old school it's passy it just doesn't work any any longer what's your response to that critique well, I know I've been described as being Victorian because I love tracts. <laughs> I don't call them tracts when I'm talking to non-Christians. It's a, it's a Christian leaflet, or sometimes I might just say a gospel leaflet, etc. But uh, it's a little Christian leaflet. Um, I love tracts. I, I just think they are the best tool uh, 
that uh, that I have for getting into conversation with those I just rub shoulders with and bump into day by day. And if if there was video now, I would show you my wallet. I have a wallet that goes with me everywhere, and it has various com- compartments in it. There are sixteen different tracks in that wallet all the time with me, and I use tracks as the key to open the door of conversation. So if I'm I don't know, I, I'm paying at a supermarket checkout. There's nobody behind me. And I might just, when I finish, say to the the, the person who's been charging me a fortune, uh, before I go, can I just give you this little Christian leaflet? It just explains how Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I often use that line. Then I look at them and I say, I'm sure you'd agree you and I qualify. Now I say it with a little bit of a you know, cheeky yeah. grin, but you'd be amazed, David, how many people look down at that moment and say, well, I do. And I say, do you know, so do I. But isn't it great that Jesus didn't come for good people? He'd never have found any. He came for people, well, he called them sinners who've, who've done wrong. And he's willing to forgive and change us if we trust. And I'll see how it goes. So I use it as the key to open the door of conversation. Or if I've just got into conversation with somebody and we've got onto the things of the Lord. And I'm very intentional about that. So I, you know, I'm a northerner. I, I'm, I'm in Yorkshire, so we talk to people on a bus or in a bus queue or whatever. We're not like the southerners in England who just growl at each other across the, <laughs> the yeah. tube. But uh, we talk. But I'm, I'm very definitely making a beeline to try and say something about the Lord or the Bible, just to bring in that subject and see how it goes. If I have a conversation, then you know I'm leaving, but I might just say, "Look, before I go, can I give you a little?" Christian leaflet, please. Now, the ones that I've I've got, they're, they're attractive, they're well-designed, but it's amazing. Um, David, I don't know quite when this broadcast is going to go out, but at the moment we're in the middle of lockdown because of the coronavirus. I read an article in The Telegraph by Simon Heffer, an atheist who was berating Justin Welby and John Centimew for not saying anything to help the country spiritually. I read that and I thought, do you know, Simon Heather, you're right on this. And I sat down, I wrote a tract and um, called Hope Beyond Coronavirus. Within a few hours, I got it to 10 publishing, 10 of those. Within 12 hours of me writing it, they had had it designed and it was at the printer's. Do you know wow. a third a third of a million of those have gone out? And we are getting, or I'm getting, a steady flow of people. Because at the back, uh, I say, if you want a DVD about the life of Jesus or a John's Gospel or a New Testament and Psalms or a booklet explaining how to become a Christian, just write, write to me. I'm, we're getting a steady flow of people asking for this information. Now, OK, it, it's not the world's greatest thing. But it's something which is better than nothing. And I never reach a third of a million people normally. Um, so I, I'm a great believer in in using this simple tool. Um, the, the one today, for example, we're recording this on um, VE Day commemorations. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, just this week, I got in touch with two care homes, which are in my locality, and said, look, if you'd be willing to give me the Christian names of your residents, I'll write them an individual postcard and this lit- I'll give them this little leaflet about um, VE Day, a Christian leaflet. Do you know, both very quickly came back, gave me a full list. So I've written 75 postcards, put them in envelopes with 75 different tracks and sent them out. And then later this year, we're supposed to be commemorating the, 
Mayflower and the Pilgrim Fathers sailing. Well, of course, there's a gospel story there, so I've done a tract about that. And so it goes on. There are, it may not be the most effective thing. It's not Billy Graham speaking to 35,000 people for three quarters of an hour or whatever, but it's something. And something these days is better than nothing because I think sure, I mean, most yeah. people in the UK are not having a gospel explanation. That's good. I mean, so often we let the best be the enemy of the good, and because yes. something's not phenomenal, we don't do it. And you know, I'm even in lockdown, and trust me, whenever this goes out, I think we'll still be in lockdown. <laughs> you know, the the Amazon guy that comes with a parcel. Can maybe yes. give him a crack or, you know, uh, confessions here. I got delivered of ice cream the other day. People like that. Where where can folk get that track? Hope Beyond Coronavirus? Is 10 of, the, 10 of those the best? It will, 10, of the, 10 of those sell them, yes. And um, they they have, uh, 10 of those.com, they have a list of about 75 different tracks. And um, they're constantly producing new ones. And they are just amazing. Do you know, uh, David, because of coronavirus, I, when I was 17, I read the biography of D.L. Moody. Moody without Sankey was called in those days by John Pollock. And apart yeah. from the scripture, that book had a greater impact on me than any other book I've ever read because I read, I loved D.L. Moody, this big hearted yeah. gospel preacher. But... He never let a day go by without speaking to somebody about the Lord Jesus. And as a 17-year-old, I read it was challenged. And the next two or three days, I had conversations with people about Christ. And so I remember on the Friday, I just prayed to the Lord, Lord, if you'll help me now for as long as I live every day, I'm going to speak to somebody about Christ. And that discipline, the daily dogged, delightful discipline, um, has been an immense blessing to me. I hope it has been to others as well. But then lockdown came. So I thought, well, I can't speak to people. You know, I, I'm confined to home. What do I do? So I, I began to think, who can I write letters to? So I wrote letters to the managers of our local supermarkets and thanked them for staying open. And I enclosed a little tract and I wrote to the surgery and the doctor, uh, the, the pharmacist. And then I wrote to the, the bank. Yesterday, my daughter went into the bank for me and uh, a person behind the counter said, oh, thank, thank you, Father, for that letter. Do you know that made our day in the bank? <laughs> and wow. then I began to think, who else is there? Well, there are MPs that I know of. And I, I think I've written about 150 different letters besides the ones to the care home now, all with the tract. And who knows? And I thought, well, if I can do this now, maybe at Christmas I can write to some of these people and thank them again and put a Christmas You, you must in. be the only guy left in the UK who's writing letters to people, <laughs> actual <laughs> physical letters. I mean, people that, love handwritten letters, you know. They really do love them. And if they reset, and I use postcards, you don't need to write much on a postcard, but you can write a little. And, um, at this time, especially, I think people enjoy them. So, yes, am I too old-fashioned? Maybe I am. <laughs> I do. do you ever get feedback, or is it a case of you just scatter that seed, um, maybe 10%, you'll get feedback to say thank you, and 1% go through to uh, trust in Christ? Yes, interesting. Um, on, the, um, uh, on the writing of the letters, to various people. I've had a little bit of feedback and actually one or two very appreciative ones. Nobody saying I've come to trust Christ through it. Um, it is just scattering, isn't it? Do you know, in my quiet time earlier this week, I was reading about um, the man who 
pulled the, the 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 bow and arrow random, and of course it pierced the the armor of uh, of King Ahab. But yeah. then a few chapters later, I'd never noticed this before. Read about Jehu and how he very directly aimed yeah. an arrow and and got his victim. And I thought there is both, isn't there? There's a sort of scattering, and who knows. And um, but there's also very direct evangelism when we're targeting various people. We need both, don't we? Ecclesiastes eleven six says, "In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will do good." Or be I, good I think that, yeah. I mean, a key thing with you giving out your tracks is that you're winsome. You've got a smile. You've got more than a modicum of emotional intelligence. Certainly in the Scottish situation, I would even say that most of the people I find who give out tracts in the high street are, uh, I don't want to be unkind, uh, but if a golden retriever is, you know, a number 10 in the agreeable scale, <laughs> you, you, you know, the, the, these people are, are, are below five. Uh, but uh, you're you're the golden retriever of the church. You you are agreeable. You're you're cuddly. You're 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 warm. Um, would you not agree? You know the spirit, the body language is important. Uh, absolutely. Um, um, normally I try to place tracks to people I'm I'm chatting with, but I do if it, you know I've got time to spare, or at least once a week I'd go onto the street into a not too crowded but not isolated area. And I'd try and um, give out a few tracks. I do it not at arm's length. So I sort of come in at an angle and, as it were, <laughs> stop people without realising they're being stopped. And um, and then, yes, with a bit of a cheeky smile on the, on my face, I try and say, look, can I just give you a little Christian leaflet? I think you'll really enjoy it, you know. And I'm looking to try and get their reaction. If they're not interested, I leave it. If they're angry, I don't. You know, I don't shout at them at all, but I do find um, most people are willing to take one. How many of those read it? I don't know. But about, and you you were saying this earlier, David, about one in 10, Mm -hmm. I can have a conversation with. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that's a very good conversation. And do you know, interestingly, um, the people I would find most open to chat, it's not who you'd think. But uh, they're sort of young, black males, Afro-Caribbean males. I find they're very open to talking. And I think it's because many of them know they've got a grandmother, perhaps, who prayed or went to church. And so there's still a modicum of respect. Um, But it's got to look good and it's got to look as though it's worth taking. And then... Uh, I, I, I want to try, I, in every gospel tract, I want to explain a little bit about Jesus' dying, paying for sin, rising from the dead, the need to turn from our own way, of course, that, we know that word repentance, and then how God will give us forgiveness of sins. Those four basic ingredients come into every gospel message I preach and certainly every gospel tract I, I write. Do you tr- When you meet someone, do you try and get... Uh, I'm thinking out here the whole gospel to them, or I mean, not even Jesus did that. So you know, sometimes you, you're only able to get a little bit of the story out. Yeah. Have you any views on that? I have. I well, a few things on that, David. I, there are two types of people. 
there are people I know very well, relatives, neighbours, perhaps colleagues, etc. And you can't just barge in with those. And you you pray and you you wait, Lord. You know, I'm looking for the right moment. And ideally, it'll be one to one rather than them in a crowd. Because when there's a crowd mentality, it makes it a bit harder. But um, just um, you you wait for the right moment there, and you've got to be sensitive. Uh, but for the person I'm never going to see again. I will try and get into some sort of significant uh, conversation that's going to count for eternity. And how much I can say very much depends upon their reaction. So I've got certain standard lines, but I do try to individualise every conversation. So the, the lines I, I have, you know, it, it explains how Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I'm sure you'd agree you and I qualify. I use that. I often use, oh, it's interesting you say that. You know, I was reading the Bible the other day. I don't know whether you read the Bible, but I love the Bible. I was reading the Bible the other day. And do you know, Jesus said, da, 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 da. or another one I use, oh, it's interesting you say that. We're just chatting about anything and everything. And I think the key is really just to talk to begin with and see where it goes. Oh, it's interesting you say that. Do you know, I was in church the other day. I don't know whether you go to church. I love going to our church. And yeah. our minister said, <laughs> whatever it is. And I use those lines to try and just see. And um, yeah, a lot then depends on, on how open they are. If I can just say something, even just bring, I like to say to people, God bless. I know not everybody would say that. I just think it brings the thought of God into their mind, perhaps. Absolutely. But for some, I want to say a bit more than that. For others, you can say more. My my rule of thumb guide, David, is is that personal work is hard work until they ask you a question. But once they ask you a question, it opens up the conversation a bit. So even if they said to me something like, oh, come on, you don't believe that, do you? That's what my eardrum heard. But my brain has heard, ooh, they want to talk. So then I can say a little bit more. Um, So no, you can't ram it all down their their throats and and their vocabulary is not the same as ours. And uh, we've got to try and explain things slowly, simply. But we've got to ask questions as well and see where they're coming from if they're open to to chat. And uh, let's listen and then let's see if we can point them in, in the Lord's direction. Briefly, just a few points about like open airs. Again, you know, this is confession time. If mm. I were frank, I find most open airs that I stop and listen to are absolutely terrible. I, uh, I get I get embarrassed. Now, occasionally I hear I hear one. I thought that is that is good. That is that is witty. That is engaging. Um, there, there used to be a guy in Glasgow called Raymond McEwen, and you know he was just such a great open air preacher. You know, folk would come and and, and just laugh with them. And you know, today I just hear guys ranting about gays about everything you know and you see youtube clips of these guys being arrested and sometimes you think my goodness i don't blame them for being arrested have you have you not an open air is it one of your things well i i've done a lot of open air work in my time david um to be honest oh it's 20 odd years ago now i had to have surgery on my larynx and i was told (laughs) never to preach in the open air again without amplification so i don't do much and i there is a weakness there. i've got to be careful i did a lot of beach missions and uh, with united beach missions i love ubm still but it did wreck my voice so i've got to be a bit more careful but 
I think open air work can be embarrassing. I agree with you. Uh, you know, I've seen these videos and uh, I wrote once to one of the Christian organizations that, that was defending one of the open air preachers and said, look, have you actually heard him? Because he is just ranting against homosexuals, etc. And I said, this isn't our message. Um, I feel I am not to be one of the world's protesters. I am to be one of the world's proclaimers. Wow. And I'm not called to expose the sins of, 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 of a generation because they're particularly abhorrent to me, whatever it is, you know. To, well, for example, I, I think the whole thing on abortion, it, it's a horrendous sin in our nation. But I don't preach against abortion as such. I, I preach Christ and him crucified. Uh, I want to make much of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, that going back to Luke 24, the, the Great Commission, where Jesus spells out what it is we're to be preaching, those four basic ingredients, his sufferings, his resurrection, repentance and forgiveness of sins. That's my message. I've got views on all sorts of issues, but I'm not out to preach those. I am out to proclaim Christ to a very needy uh, nation. But I have seen open air work done very well, very cleverly, really. I've seen some very able uh, preachers and usually they're masters at asking questions and using questions as the bait to draw in rather than as it were shouting at people they're trying to connect with and reason with people and then present Christ so I've seen it done very well but I, as you say David it's embarrassing sometimes when you see it done badly yeah. Now, you've been in evangelism now for 40, maybe even nearly 50 years. The church scene has changed these days. We talk a lot about church planting. Um, you go to a church service today, it looks really different to the churches that you and I used to preach in maybe yes. even 30 years ago. Here's a question. Have you changed at all? in the last 40 years in terms of your thinking and methodology? Um, yes, a little bit, yes. Um, certainly not as far as my message is concerned. I've really kept focusing. I must preach Christ's death and his resurrection, the need to repent and receive forgiveness of sins. One of my, my lines, incidentally, is um, that heaven is not a reward. Heaven is a gift which Jesus purchased and offers to us. I, I find that a helpful line. Most servants I have that sentence yeah. in. Um, you mentioned church planting, if I may. I, I've got to say, David, though, you know, who can be against church planting? But I find most church planting is denomination planting. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a new evangelical grouping with a slightly nuanced difference between the other one, but they go to positions of strength. Uh, the city of Leeds, which is, you know, it's about 30 miles south of where I live, big, big city. Um, on one road, there were seven church plants. Now, it's a long road, but there's <laughs> seven church plants on that road. Why? That's where all the students live. To the east of it, about a third of a million people live, virtually, not entirely, but virtually bereft of any evangelical witness. But it's a poorer area there. Nobody, nobody went to church plant there. And I think we've got to ask ourselves about, about church planting. Is it just wanting us wanting to be a the leader of a new grouping and going to a position where we can quickly have a pop-up church, as it were, that does well for a while, maybe longer? 
or are we really going to where then there is need? I don't want to come across as cynical, but I'm a little bit concerned about what I see about the church. No, I think I think we've got to have this conversation. You know, it is the elephant in the room in Scotland. We've got an organisation called Twenty Schemes, and yes. uh, you know their goal is to plant churches in Scotland's poorest area in council yes. schemes. Um, you know. We in the Free Church of Scotland are looking to plant 30 new churches by the year 2030. Mm. And I, I love what you are saying that that has got to be tied up with evangelism and unreached people uh, and going to poor areas, going to areas which are maybe not naturally responsive to the gospel. So, I mean, what would you say as, as an evangelist, what would you say to as uh, you know, we do it through a thing called generation church planting. What is your advice to us about our church planting policy? Where should we go? Uh, well, I I am convinced we should go to where there is no other um, evangelical cause. Now, that, it may be evangelical, but so far removed from, from how we would practice and preach and believe that we feel there has to be something. I understand that, but not when it's just slightly nuanced. And um, I, I think we need to be praying, where are there great areas of need? Then we need to go and live amongst that people. And it may not necessarily be the poorest people. Um, it may be, but it may be a, a you know a very mm -hmm. nice, pleasant place. But there's just nothing there, and um, uh, go and live there, and you really need two or three couples at least, and 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 let let's see if God prospers the work, and He may well. Um, but we're not just going to try and pinch Christians from other churches, and um, uh, work in an area that's already well covered. Um, so praise the Lord for the Free Church of Scotland vision and, um, and amen to it. May the Lord prosper and use that. We, we have to come, whereas there were perhaps um, evangelical causes in a previous generation, maybe when Methodism was, was biblical, etc. then perhaps, you know, we could say, all right, that's covered. But now so many of these churches have, have gone the way of liberalism, they've died, etc., and they've left a, a gaping hole. We need to go to those. I'd also say, let's think about villages. And um, mm. the, the Lord went to, to villages. We always... I don't know, we bought into the, the Tim Keller idea that you go to the big influential city and there'll be a trickle-down approach. It's a myth. It doesn't happen. We need to target all types, but it's an area where nobody else has got a, a foundation and a building, a metaphorical building, but we go to, to there and see what, we could, see what can be done, whether it's large or small. Do you know some of the finest Bible teachers I know in my sort of locality over the last... Yes, as you say, 50 odd years, uh, very, very able Bible teachers and evangelists have been in tiny villages. I find that quite stunning. And humanly, you'd say, no, 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 send them to the big city and let them have a big crowd. But it's not the way the Lord has done it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I can just imagine a lot of listeners to this podcast are already dancing in the middle of their sitting room of what you've said. And certainly, you know, through our generation evangelism pro, uh, process, we're putting a lot of emphasis on, on rural as well as urban. Um, yes. I, I think what you're saying is that irrespective of socioeconomic status, irrespective of location, you know, your heart should be like a 
uh, and your evangelistic heart like a, a heat-seeking missile going towards the lost wherever they are. Yes. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. David, can I go back though? I, I, I digressed without answering your question yeah, about the yeah, change. No, so the message has remained the same. I think I'm, a, I'm much more cautious about my vocabulary now. So I'm, I can't assume what once I could assume as far as background knowledge is concerned. So I remember talking to somebody in Cardiff about sin and this lady said, I've never sinned. And eventually, cutting a long story short, she said, okay. She said, I have trodden on some insects, but but only accidentally. And I thought, okay, <laughs> you know, this sort of thing. So we we can't assume the language of Zion anymore. <laughs> Not even that phrase. Um, but secondly, a strategy. Um, when I first went into full-time evangelism, and I'd been very much involved with it before, um, the, the trend was, as you know, um, with Christian ministries, John Blanchard, Peter Anderson and Derek Cleave, they were doing sort of evangelistic meals and they would go to a church for a week or a fortnight and have a whole week or fortnight of evangelistic meals with after-dinner speeches. And they, they did it very effectively. But my experience was that you get bigger crowds to a free meal, of course. But my experience was I didn't see conversions and I began to think, why is this? And I, I don't know the answer entirely, but I came to the conclusion it's because people are not coming to the event expecting to hear the voice of God. They're coming. Yeah, they know there's going to be a talk at the end, but they're coming for a free meal. But if I invite them just to come and hear me preach, who wants to hear me preach? And, uh, you know, why would they want to do that? And slowly, I could describe it in more detail, but slowly developed an approach that um, everybody enjoys a good story. So I developed a, a strategy where I'd go to a church, say for a week, and we'd have a, we'd perhaps call it real lives. And for six nights, and then Sunday would be slightly different, but for six nights, I would interview somebody, not a celebrity, but somebody with an interesting testimony. I'd interview them as to their story, as to um, how they became a Christian, how Christ changed their lives, how they found God in uh, to be a very present helping time of trouble, that sort of thing. And then I would go from that into a straight gospel message. Now, you may have some refreshments before, or even in the middle or at the end. Um, in the south of England, they call them canapes. In the Midlands, they call them nibbles. But in the north, we call them freebies. But anyway, they <laughs> love them. <laughs> and um, and um, do you know, my experience was that people, Christians, felt they could invite their unconverted friends to this. And... Um, uh, and and my experience was that night by night in virtually every situation, the attendees would grow in number. Um, now, when I say not celebrities, the temptation is to go for some well-known name of somebody who professes to be a Christian, but it's a weak testimony. That It doesn't work like that. It's somebody who's got a testimony to tell. The Apostle Paul, four times in the book of Acts, gives his testimony. And uh, I, I'm sure that's the Lord's, as it were, imprimatur, saying, use your testimony to communicate the gospel. Everybody loves a good story. So you invite people. Do you know, tonight we've got um, we've got a man who was actually, he, he was a terrorist in Northern Ireland. 
and he became a Christian in the maze prison. It's a remarkable story. And then we've got a, a visiting guy who's going to explain the Christian. Why do you come along? And you have six or seven. Well, on the Sunday, I normally use local Christians. We have a bit more of a church service. So we'll have a hymn and a prayer, etc. I don't normally midweek. We don't have a, a hymn. We, we have a Bible reading, yes. We have the interview and the message, and I close with prayer. But we're in, it's, it's geared, really, so a non-Christian can come. They, we don't ask them to do anything except listen, participate by listening. And, um, and obviously, we're praying that the Lord will speak. I have found this style of mission uh, really works. And, and to, be, to be honest, um, in universities, they were very loath to, to do this. But I insisted, really, if I was doing a university mission, I would do it there as well. Eventually, we did one like this in, in Durham, and suddenly it took off. And, and even universities are doing this increasingly. I don't know that people are asking the questions that we want to answer. You know, what is the evidence for the resurrection? I don't think people are asking that, but they will listen to a story. And um, but from that, we go to the word and the gospel. I'm, I'm interested as well on, you know, churches, because some churches are, to use a buzzword these days, you know, highly missional. They are outward facing. They are seeing folk who, you know, being converted. I, I remember you and I were in the same circuit uh, in the early 80s in a church that we both know well and we both love in Yorkshire. And you'll probably guess where I'm going to go here. Uh, Bill Dyer. Pontiac. All right. Yes, that, that church is an absolute outlier because, you know, in the early 80s, you would go there and uh, you would preach sometimes 15 times a week in this Victorian chapel with terrible yes. coffee, people sitting in queues <laughs> with normal biscuits. You know, it was a missiologist's nightmare. Everything was wrong. And yet God worked. Do you find many churches like that these days or can you remember them in the old days well yes what happened in Pontefract was unique and it lasted about 30 years didn't it mm -hmm. I think the Lord's hand was very much on the minister Bill Dyer though they, they they had a prayer meeting every day every day 365 days a year and um and it would numbers began to decline uh, they did actually start doing these interviews and their messages as well. Um, but eventually the, the sort of, you can't describe it as revival, but a period of unusual blessing sort of faded, yeah. didn't it? Yeah. The, there is a church in, in Derby which has seen remarkable blessing, really. Um, started by a couple who went on to a big, big new estate, but there was no church there. They started children's meetings. And the first children's event was on a Friday night. They got 92 children. And for years afterwards, it never dropped below that. Mm -hmm. But eventually they, um, they asked me, actually, as it happens, if I would speak at a tent mission. And we did the sort of program that I've just described in a tent, but they had two marquees. So the children joined in for the first part of the program. Then they went into the second marquee where they had a children's program when I preached the gospel. Nobody was converted. But 17 people said they'd do a, a course. They used Stranger on the Road to Emmaus rather than Christianity Explored, etc. But they, they said they'd do a course. And one or two of those doing the course came to trust Christ. Every two years, rather, since then, 
they've done a mission like that. Now they, they've, they've built a church and they get about 200 people to the service. Well, certainly on a special, whether how many they get Sunday by Sunday, I'm not sure. I mustn't exaggerate. Um, but they have seen remarkable blessing. The next next mission, one lady who, who knew everybody on the state was converted and that became very influential. But since then, in all the missions, they've seen good numbers of folk come to trust Christ. But they've gone from the missions into the stranger on the road to Emmaus course. And they, they've seen some reaping at the mission, but they've seen more reaping, I think, as they've continued to follow up people. And they've got this, this church of, let's say, 200 people. And they're all people from their estate whom they've won to the Lord. And when Christians have come from elsewhere, they said to them, we, we really don't want you to come, to be honest. If you want to move on the estate, fine, but we're not that sort of church. We are, we are working to evangelize on this estate. And they've seen remarkable blessing, but they've seen problems as well. That's a different story, of course. Yeah. But um, um, so there are some places, and I could name one or two others, I think, where there's been a particular touch of God, but they're, they're very intentional, as you use the word missional, in really constantly seeking to reach out to the unconverted to welcome them and and yeah befriend them and win them yeah well roger our time has flown we've gone past the allotted time which is (laughs) a bad thing Uh, this has been so enjoyable and you know i hope that our listeners have got within them a little rekindling of this evangelistic passion and uh, you know they will intentionally go out with the gospel and maybe get some cracks. Maybe just go onto YouTube, uh, put Roger Carr's one, and you can get more of Roger. Oh dear! Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> just one or two quick things, David. Sure, just to, sure. to remember that the unconverted are not our enemies. Mm, great they point. are as we once were, and we want them to be as we are now. And to be kind, we don't know what battles people are fighting, do we? And I I find real joy in in ensuring that every day, um, you know, we've been able to share this most wonderful but urgent message with somebody. It 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 it, it makes every day worthwhile to my mind. Well, thank you. You are a kind man, and uh, thank you so much for these thank you David. elements of insight. We wish you every blessing on your ministry. Thank you. The Lord bless you, David. Great to chat. Oh, before you go, the, uh, tell the folk what the URL is for your website if they want to get access to more material. Yes. Okay. So uh, just www. Is that right? I'm not sure. Yeah, anyway, no, yeah. no, forget that. It's Roger. No, what is it? Is it? Uh, no, it's rogercarswell.net. That's it. Rogercarswell.net. Google him, he's everywhere. Roger, you thank should, you. You should have warned me on that one. No, I'm pretty certain <laughs> it's just rogercarswell.net. They will find you. Rogercarswell.net. Thank you. Have a great day. <laughs>